Welcome to worship at Salem Alliance Church. Let's join Josh Mann, pastor of Youth Ministries, as he begins. So, do you remember the message Fowler spoke uh, maybe a month and a half ago about John? And uh, he used this phrase throughout the message to describe the process of of Jesus taking John on, on this discipleship journey. And he kept using the phrase, that's not how we do it here. It was the message about John being this brash, confident, kind of results-oriented businessman and, uh, and being successful at that. Nothing wrong with any of that. But then he, he, he begins following Christ and he kind of takes the ways he was successful in this world system, and he just kind of, it's a Christian version of that. It's just like with, with the Jesus fish on it. And, and Jesus would teach John over the course of many, many, many different interactions. Actually, these worlds are quite different. Like they, they exist simultaneously. They exist right on top of each other. And, uh, and, yet, and yet they're fundamentally opposed on certain levels. And so, John, I understand your desire for greatness, and that's a fine desire. But asking to sit at my right and my left hand, which was the scenario that kind of prompted this whole thing, that's not how we do it here. In the kingdom, you become great by, by serving, by becoming least. And John, over the course of his time, began to change his mind about how this world really is. He, he, he didn't change his mind about how the world would be. He changed his mind about how the world really is. This kingdom of God that is expanding in our hearts and around the world, this is a truer reality than the one we experience. And Jesus taught him to live according to that one. And it had massive ramifications. And, and John ends his life being the, this strong businessman, results-oriented, with, with this phrase, little children love one another. If there's anything I've learned, it's, it's that that's how we do it here. You and I are on a process of discipleship, right? You're still here because it's not done. And uh, we're going to open the same book we opened last week and last year and Believing that there's more in here for us to understand and, and kind of <clears throat> appropriate in our lives. And, uh, and yeah, our process can be described in a similar way. You and I are trying to change our mind about what's true in this world. So we all are born into the kind of the, the, the wisdom of the world, conventional wisdom, which says, you know, this is what makes the most sense. This is what you do in this situation. And we're trying to change our mind to live according to the kingdom. To live according to the principles of the kingdom. And Jesus demonstrated and taught, here's what the kingdom looks like. Here's where it's different. And so, bit by bit, you and I are becoming more and more like Christ. And we are living in ways of the kingdom. And I've got to be honest, to me, it's often hard to tell the difference between the two. There are some situations where... You find yourself in a quandary and you don't know, here's what some people say is a good idea. Is that worldly wisdom? Because worldly wisdom sounds wise. And in many instances where it does not conflict with the kingdom, it, it is wise. 
But there are times when what sounds wise in the world's eyes, according to all that it believes the world is, is foolishness for those of us who understand what's really going on. Ah, oh, that's tough. So there's just this constant struggle of, is this this kind of wisdom or is this this kind of wisdom? And... Uh, we're going, to, we're going to experience two stories today where Jesus kind of teaches his disciples in both of them, this is how we do it here. That phrase can be applied to a hundred different categories or values where Jesus was reorienting them around the kingdom. And we're going to find two more where Jesus says, this is how I want you to think about this area of your life. This is a scenario, and this is kind of the conclusions I want you to come to. So I invite you to turn with me to uh, page 1,055 in your pew Bible. This is John 6, verse 1. John 6, verse 1, page 1,055. So we're going to look at two stories. I'm going to tell story one. I'm going to tell story two. And then we're going to kind of unpack these. Uh, This first story is the feeding of the 5,000. Not to ruin it for you, but I just told you the end. Um... (laughs) They all eat. This is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. You can use that as trivia dinner tonight. Uh, So this first story is Jesus feeds the 5,000. This is told in four settings. I'm going to go to the Mark telling for a little bit at one point, but but other than that, this is going to be the one we're reading. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Hold that thought. I'm going to go to Mark 6.32, and uh, you can, if you want... This story happens right after the disciples had gone out on their practicum. Remember, we kind of sent them two by two. He said, don't take any money. This is what you do. You know, and, and they come back and they're like, whoa, this stuff really works. And, uh, and, and the other scenario this is coming right after is John the Baptist being beheaded. So they come back, they report. It's, it's both a, an up and a down moment. And... The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming to them, they didn't even have time to eat. This is like a full ministry day. They are serving their neighborhood. They are just doing what God called them to do, and, and, it's, and it's a full, full plate, and they don't have time to eat. Jesus says to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So they get in a boat and they leave. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So things have been so full and hectic and folks come in that they, that they never get time for themselves. And so he says, <clears throat> let's go on a retreat. All right, let's get in my boat, and uh, we'll do some fishing on the way, because that always relaxes people. And, uh, and then we'll go to the other side. And, and the people realize where they're going, and they run. Adults running. And, and they kind of meet them on the other side, and it's like, oh, so much for that retreat. 
And if I was Jesus, I'd be like, seriously, people? Boundaries, you know? Need some alone time. I love you and all. But, but Jesus, it says, he sees them on the other side, and he's, his, his heart goes out to them. He's, he says, it says he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I think what Jesus saw was these were people who were hungry for an encounter with God. And apparently they had not found that to the degree that their hearts desired in the places they'd expected to. And so when they see in the person of Jesus the power and the presence of God, they're running. They've got synagogues. They've got the Torah. They've got, they've got sacrificial system. They've got all this stuff. And Jesus was often frustrated with the way those things were kind of being carried out, that they were not leaving, leading people to God. And so Jesus shows up, and folks are just running to him to hear what he's going to say, to see what he's going to do, to experience his touch in their lives. And he, he's like, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're just looking for anything, and, and, they, and they leave on a moment's notice to, to come here. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus said to his disciples, you give them something. You give them something. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? You, you know, follow the little letter that appears in your Bible, and it says 200 denarii. Denarii is about a day's wage for a laborer. So let's say 10 bucks an hour, 8 hours a day, that's 80 bucks a day, times 200 is $15,000. So, so they're saying it would take about $15,000 worth of catering to feed this group, and uh, you want us to do it? Uh... And the disciples at this moment feel like they're seeing the situation more clearly than Jesus is. Have we ever been there? Oh, that just nails me. I think I'm seeing this a little more clearly than you are. And from where I sit, let me tell you what I see. This is possible. That's not. This could happen. Mm, That maybe could. That never would. They're, they're just trusting these, and they're, and they're kind of saying, no, here's reality, and here's what's possible inside of that. You show me a blank check, and, you know, and, and, and we'll take care of this. Outside of that, I don't see how we can do it. So they say, how, Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Let's go back to John. So the disciples start seeing how many loaves they have. This has got to seem like the most futile exercise in the world. Like, what, what are we going to find? That there's just randomly enough food? We just didn't know it? Oh, look, everyone has food. No, the whole problem here is the fact that there's not enough food. So why would we go do this little step to count how little food we have? So... Verse 8 of chapter 6. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? 
Again, he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, here's how this works. One bread, one person, five bread, five thousand. This isn't going to work. Let me tell you how, you know, what's true. And what I think is interesting about this story is 5,000 men, this does not include women and children, and only one dude has some food. Uh, uh, nah. No, what happened is some people had some food. Like some mom had a granola bar in her purse, a little bag of almonds, you know, and a water bottle. And, uh, you know, some dad's got some beef jerky, but, but not anything that could make a difference, right? Not anything that could help. No one had extra. And uh, we only give when we have extra. So it's like, you know, no. I, like, if I give you this, then we won't have it. But what I love is there's this boy who's, like, naive. Like, give him 10 years. We'll see if he offers that five loaves and two fish. <laughs> Dude, you got to look out for yourself. You divide that among this crowd, you're going to get this much. You keep it for yourself, you're going to have enough. He hasn't learned that wisdom of the world mentality. And so, you know, if he's with any relatives and the disciples are like, any food, any food, I just have to ask you. Then we can go back and see what he's going to do. Does anyone have any food? The boy's like, you need food? I got food. Mom's like, shut up. We don't have enough. We, yes, we have some, but we don't have enough. And when you have some, you don't get to enough by giving that away. You keep the bread, and then with interest, the bread grows. <laughs> but he's, you know, he's a boy. You can't expect him to know that. So he naively just offers up what he has. And out of this whole crowd... Who would have thunk it that little boy is the only one who showed up and, and offered something? And Jesus, is, you don't get the sense he's like, oh, really? You know, like, go check again. Or I know everything, and I know that you have a granola bar. No, he's like, <laughs> he's like, one boy, one boy wants to give, we'll work with one boy. Ten folks want to give, we'll work with ten folks. I am not held back, Jesus seems to say, by... I just wondered if anyone wanted to be a part of what's about to happen. Jesus took the ten loaves, just matter-of-factly gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So the people gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves. Yeah, that math doesn't add up. Five barley loaves in pieces equals 5,000 folks being fed and 12 baskets left. Five loaves in whole is five loaves. I think, do you remember, remember I was saying, Fowler was saying that this is, how, this is how we do it here. That's not how we do it here. Jesus was teaching the disciples about kingdom math. In kingdom math, I have not fully understood. But we see glimpses of it. That kingdom math is, is different than regular math. And uh, this is the only miracle that all disciples wrote about in their biography of Jesus. This stood out as a 
mind-changing moment. Jesus, in our journey with him, wants to change our mind about him and this world and reality and ourselves and what's possible. And he will use circumstances in Scripture and in our lives to, like, I used to think that way, now I think this way. Second story. Jump with me to Mark 12, 41, or page 1005. Page 1005, Mark 12, 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. That is so wrong. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is a private matter. Uh, between them and God. Oh, wait. <laughs> Never mind. Still, though, you shouldn't be doing that probably. Jesus is sitting down like I'm going to stay a while sitting down. <clears throat> Excuse me. Can you move? Okay, that's better. They're about to pass the plate. This should be interesting. Now, there's nothing in this passage that says he has a critical spirit, that he's angry. He's just, like no one does, watching the offering plate go by. So it says that many rich people put a lot of money in. Sweet. He's watching it. uh, Notices. And then it says uh, a poor widow comes up and puts in two mites. And, uh, not mice, (laughs) mites. And uh, um, it says at the bottom other words that we don't understand about what that means, about two of these. But anyways, modern equivalent, that's about a buck 25. It was about one sixty-fourth of a day's wages, of a denarii. And, uh, And so five quarters she puts in and kind of goes on her way. And Jesus could have, like, gone, wow, or whatever he would have thought. But he doesn't. He calls his disciples over to him. Come here. You're missing out. Did you see this? See that woman? She put in more than all of them. Calling these disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth. They gave out of their abundance. They gave out of their extras. And he does not... I have to remind him, he does not say anything bad about rich people or large offerings or giving out of our abundance. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that she gave more. Not that what they gave was bad or inappropriate. She gave more than all of them because she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had. And he wanted his disciples to learn another story about kingdom math because in the world's math, there's this symbol we have. It looks like a sideways V and it's like the the less than or greater than symbol. And so in the world's math, a smaller number is always less than a bigger number. 
Bigger numbers are always greater than smaller numbers. But Jesus says there are times, there are places in the kingdom when small numbers are greater than big numbers. And he wanted them to see one of these moments. Literally, something happened in that place where in the kingdom's ledger, in the kingdom's ledger, more was deposited by her gift than any of the others. This this is meant to change our mind about, like, we should have a kingdom understanding of of math and money and our resources, and these stories are meant to kind of help fill that out for us. So what is the point of all this? Two stories. Here's some reflections on what these situations seem to speak about. I think money is a mirror of who we trust and what we care about. Money is a reflection of who we trust and what we care about. Therefore, It's a fantastic litmus test. Lip service can only go so far. Jesus would say money is a better indicator of who you trust and what you care about. Irrelevant to what it's going to, the quantity, how you got it. It in and of itself and your posture towards it is a reflection of who you trust and what you care about. This is why Jesus taught about money, talked about money more than he talked about love. Because he was trying to get at, the whole purpose of the kingdom is to change people's minds about what? Who they trust, what they care about. So if this is like the greatest tangible you know, evidence of that, then he, he'd go back to it again and again and again because he's trying to change the disciples' minds, change our minds about how we live in the world. And there's this wisdom of the world, and there's the wisdom of the kingdom. And he says the wisdom of the world is foolishness to the kingdom. It's much lower. And the, and the wisdom of the kingdom it seems like foolishness to the world. How do you know? Jesus taught about this a lot. We come into the world, I believe, with a, with a worldly wisdom mindset, and it says something like this. Rely on your own strength and hard work, trust yourself, and look out for your own interests. That doesn't sound that bad anywhere else other than church. But we're all here, so we have to kind of, hmm, yeah, oh, horrible. Like, come on, that, that really does add up. Work hard, rely on your strength, use what God gave you, and take care of your own interests and save and, like, be smart. What's wrong with this? Where does this conflict with the kingdom understanding? Being transformed by the kingdom changes our mind where we learn to trust not what we can provide, but what God, who God is. Trust not ourselves, but to trust him. To look not after our interests, but to look after interests of others. It is the scary, fear-laden transformation to change our mind, to really trust more him and others. I think this is the perfect platform for these two perspectives to be played out. 
I think God loves it. I think he says, this is perfect. Sure, money makes possible the exchange of good and services, but more importantly, it's a chance for my sons and daughters to reflect the privilege of being in my family. Surely in this one area, children of mine will be fundamentally different in their posture towards money than anyone else. Surely their rest, peace, and trust will be most clearly evident. Here's why I like this money thing. There's enough going with it to not make it easy. But I've, my character's out there enough, revealed enough for it to be possible for you to trust me more than it. You know, money, it, uh, everyone will feel like they never have enough. Uh, so that's this kind of equal reality we'll all live with. Uh, there will be radical inequity in its distribution, so it will not be fairly kind of doled out, although there is an element of, of our work related to it, but it will, it, it will not make sense. There, uh, there will be some who will abuse it, which will you know, make people question how, how they respond to it. They will have to work for it, which will make them feel like whatever they get is theirs. But what a good chance. What a clear area where children of mine will stand out from others. I feel like God sometimes says, how can I demonstrate my sufficiency, my faithfulness, my sovereignty, if you run from any situation where you'd need it? How will you trust me for future things if you haven't trusted me for things in the past that I have been found to be faithful in? Because those will not only be significant in and of that situation, but those will give you what you need for future situations. And if you don't trust me more and more, how can you experience and enter and expand the kingdom? What gets in the way? Fear. Perfect love drives out fear. I believe the opposite of trust is fear. When we receive and understand what it's like to be a son or daughter of the king and to live in accordance with the kingdom who has plenty... It's, there's, a, there's a surprising lack of fear, despite circumstances in these eyes that might be going on around us. And to not understand that love and to not be secure in it is to live a life in fear. We, brain researchers tell us that fear memories are stored in a different part of the brain than other long-term memories. The, the amygdala. So what happens is, it's not fair. Our fear memories, <clears throat> we experience things in life, and things that make us scared get processed in a certain part. And other long-term memories, you know, what you ate and all this stuff, go to a different part. And so here's what happens. Researchers have realized that when a situation presents itself, the fear area of your brain responds quicker and stronger than other experiences that are stored away. Isn't that fascinating? So a situation presents itself, and the strongest and quickest response of what I should do in light of this will come from the side of your brain that kind of houses the fear. We see again and again and again the kingdom, when it shows up in people's lives, it's one, one of its first lines is to not fear. It's not be afraid. The... the 
the result of, of, of living in the kingdom is, is trust and love and rest and peace. And, and the opposite is fear, where decisions are made based on fear. And fear says there's never enough. Fear remembers moments in our past, our family, specific instances where we were afraid that we didn't have enough. And so it could be 30 years ahead. It could be a different situation. And when we come up against a situation where there's an opportunity to give or to extend ourselves or to sign up to help with this, there's this fear that says there won't be enough, that remembers that situation and tries to avoid it. This can do damage to our soul because it fences in what it was meant to do and what it was meant to experience and who it was meant to find God to be because we will not leave that. There's this scary reality that where Jesus crystallized the the two kingdoms in opposition to each other. He said, whoever tries to save their life on their own to take care of themselves, to, to, to take full responsibility, whoever tries to save their life will lose it, will destroy it. By doing it, you will destroy it. Whoever loses their life, whoever relinquishes life, whoever trusts, loses their life for me and my sake, will save it. Herein lies the dilemma. We all find ourselves in some version of, I have some, but I need more. And this keeps us from practicing the realities of the kingdom and experiencing their blessings in our life. So when it comes to time, we have some, but we don't have enough, and so it keeps us from practicing the Sabbath. If I had more time, I would set some of it aside, but I don't have extra, and I only give out of extra, and so I won't, and so I'll I'll take it all, all up myself. We have some money, but not enough money for the current things in our world. And so we will not practice the kingdom principle of giving. If I had extra, I would give some of that. I don't have extra, so I won't. Guys, this is worldly wisdom. I'm not saying this with knowing that we have a a special offering at the end of the service. This is irrelevant to that. This is the week of the Bible study where John Sembo gave kind of his, his farewell talk. And so we didn't cover this week in the Bible study. And on the free week, we're teaching it. This is, this is just important stuff for our soul regardless of, of those other things. The reality of the kingdom is that it will often ask for a deposit as evidence of trust when we need more than we have. This is how I believe the kingdom works. And this is true in the five loaves and two fish and in the two mites. Both were situations where what they had wasn't enough, but when they gave, even though they needed, when they gave this opposite posture, they entered in to the gravitational system of the kingdom which when it's focused on ourselves does not move, but when is it extended to others, we find ourselves taken care of. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. The kingdom, by definition, is not a me-centered entity. So my first priority is the kingdom. And I pursue it and its interests and its security and its advancement. And it says, by doing so, all these things will be added unto me. Doesn't your Heavenly Father know that you have needs? 
You put your needs first and you're on your own. You put the kingdom's needs first and the kingdom takes responsibility for you. So you and I know that uh, my wife and I have been on a, man, a crazy journey of, of beginning our family and we're at, at, at an exciting point. Uh, after a couple years of infertility, we began the journey of adoption. And uh, in a little bit more than a month, we will take a trip to Ethiopia and, and uh, meet a baby, a baby girl. And, but I got to tell you that at the beginning of this journey was, was I, I didn't know if we would have ever been where we are. Because here's what happened. I, I crunched the numbers like you should. And we didn't have enough. This is what we had and this is what it would take. And so it was clear that God did not want us to move forward. I had to change my mind about that. Sometimes God calls us to move forward on things that, where we don't have at the beginning all that it would require. Okay. So we will trust you, God, by taking what we do have and combining it with what you have and trusting that that will be enough. Okay. Then we felt God invite us to not ask anyone for money. I, I, I think I knew. I've, I've, I'm a full believer of, of support letters, but I think he knew that I trusted my friends more than I trusted him, and he said, I, I, I want you to trust me to take care of this. I was hard enough wrapping my own head around, and then I had to float that fancy idea to my wife. <laughs> and, and there's kind of this, so you want us to do nothing. And just expect that this... I, 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 it sounds worse than it is. <laughs> and, and, and there was this like... We didn't know if we were going to do that. And, and then there was this... Why? Because of fear. Because there won't be enough that way. Fine. We won't... Fine. We'll just trust. We'll pray. Then one day I'm going through the mail and there's this support letter from some friends of ours who uh, serve at InterVarsity at Willamette, and I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know, pray for them. <laughs> and then I felt the Lord saying, I want you to support them. Dude, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> Remember me? I'm the one who needs money. I've got my piggy bank here, and, I, and you know it's not enough, but you said, trust you, okay? So I'm trusting you that this plus this. And now you want to take some out of this? We don't have extra. We don't have enough. I felt the Lord kind of say, okay, Josh, let me get this straight. You want the kingdom to make possible for you to, to adopt and to begin a family, and, and yet you won't participate in that reality coming true for someone else. Yeah. Well, I don't know them really well. <laughs> and I don't know. This just doesn't seem wise. Checked with my wife. Yeah, it didn't seem wise to her either. No, 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 we can't do this. But there was this like, you know what? There, there, I, don't know, I don't know where it came from, but at some point there was this like, fine. I'm, I'm learning something here and I'm going to try to err in the side of 
courage and, and practice. And so we kind of banded together and said, let's do this. So we, it wasn't even a lot, but okay, 25 bucks a month, we're going we're gonna to do this. And, and uh, there were other ones that came after that, that didn't have that same way. But I felt like at the beginning of this journey, God was testing us. Do you trust me or do you trust the piggy bank in me? Do you trust me or do you trust your friends? Do you trust, do you trust me? The reason why I believe the enemy of our souls does not want us to be generous is not simply because of what wouldn't get funded. I don't think that's the primary issue. I think he doesn't want us to be generous because, because of who we'd become and because of all we'd find God to be. Because if you and I extend generosity beyond what we have extra into what we very need, then he knows that we will find the kingdom to be a trustworthy and worthy investment of our lives, our salvation, our money, and our time. And if we realize that to an even greater degree than we do now, we pray different prayers. We believe God for different things. We're more generous. More needs get met. It ruins everything according to the enemy. My wife and I would not trade this experience for anything. Not simply because we're on the doorstep of beginning a family, which is exciting, but because, because of what happened in this last year, we cannot look at whatever comes in the future the same way we would have otherwise. There was times when my wife got a phone call from a friend. Hey, are you looking for a job? Uh, like, I work Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, but we're, we're, we're trusting God to provide, and so sure, when? It'd be Saturday, like 10 to 6. Okay, let me call my friend. She owns a boutique in town. Let me see if you can do this. Five minutes later, you're hired. I've never met the lady. For nine months, my wife works Saturdays. My dad calls me up. Josh, do you want to help me teach a class online? Sure. And, and I, I did that three times. And Josh, would you like to speak of this thing? The, the, the envelope that showed up in my wife's box with $2,000 for Christmas. My, my parents decided to check to see how much their plane miles would get in terms of a ticket. And it, and it more than got us there and back, and, and, and a journey that began with going, man, this is not that much. We'd love to go there. That had this obedient step of even shrinking it prior to doing that. Man, it's, it's been a game changer for us. There's a face and a baby and, and a family that wouldn't have been possible. And if, and if you had asked... Me and God, what was standing between us in this adoption? I would have said money, and he would have said trust. It wasn't the amount of fish. It wasn't the amount of mites. It was the amount of trust. What is true to you? What is reliable? Who is responsible for your risk? Allstate? <laughs> our propensity to pay people to cover our risk is a fine to a certain extent, but it weakens our trust muscles in God who says, I am your provider, I am your father. Look to me first and foremost for everything. What need are you most aware of right now? What, 
what could be possible in this year with greater levels of courage and trust that might not happen this year otherwise. You have been listening to Josh Mann, pastor of Youth Ministries at Salem Alliance Church. If you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to be our guest at our worship service on our main campus at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem. Worship services are Saturday at 5 and 6.30 p.m. and again on Sunday at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. If you'd like to receive a free Bible and more information on how to become a Christ follower, feel free to call our office at 503-581-2129. We'd love to know how we can serve you. And once again, that's Salem Alliance Church at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem.